love wiffle ball. No other way to explain it. Just something about the game. The feel of the grass. Smacking that ball all over the field. Making plays. Diving head first, whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what wiffle ball means to me. Striking out grown men. Watching their knees buckle on a called third strike. Sit out, bud. And then, of course, the home runs. The base hits. The big, big home runs at the big moments. That's a whiff of greatness. Join us all season long for the Joe Aguirre story. A CMG podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Throwing Jabs, the combat sports podcast. I'm your host, as always, Big Jace, joined by Jerry Jones and Joe Aguirre. We'll be joined by a special guest later on, so stay tuned for that. And we got a lot to talk about, so let's start things off with recapping UFC pay-per-view. Let's start with the main event, Kamaru Usman KOs Jorge Masvidal in the second round. Yeah, I mean, you guys called it that Usman was going to win, but no one saw a knockout coming. Well, Usman did because he yeah. said he was going to do it. And I think he even said he was going to do it in the second round. It's funny. Last week, Jared and I were debating just how good Usman was. And then we ended up putting him on the Mount Rushmore of welterweights. And then he went out there and made us, like, made us look like geniuses by knocking out the guy uh, who doesn't get knocked out in 50 professional fights. I saw a photo of Masvidal where you could literally see the soul coming out of his body uh, as he got hit. All the moisture on his face. I mean, his face was like bone dry seconds after that punch. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, I loved at the end when he, when he, when he, and I love Masvidal, you know this, but when he hit him a couple of times and then they asked him in the, in the press conference about those and he explained those were super necessary. Uh, so he, he just wrote it right out to the end. So, uh, congratulations to Usman because that was impressive. I thought Masvidal actually had a really good first round and, and was feeling like, Oh, I don't know. You never know. Maybe. (laughs) Oh no, never mind. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's how I, that's how I felt about, uh, that's how I felt about it too. Um, that I thought he would dominate a little more in the in the in the first, but um, feeling out process, habitual slow starter, and got there, got there right on time. I mean, this whoo, our double dare uh, guy on the button was uh was on point. That right hand, I always talk about those opposite side of the chin when the guy turns. And instead of getting this, this, you somehow get this, you know, and it's on the, and it, you're 
neck and equilibrium and just everything gets set. And that's how he got it. <laughs> you know, to watch Stipe get knocked out a couple weeks ago and then to watch Masvidal get knocked out like that, it, it does speak to some of Jace's horrible picks. I mean, you, you can you can end a fight with one good punch. I mean, and, and it happens frequently enough that his picks aren't stupid. You know what I mean? He's just always looking for that moment. And I think when you see them, though, you do realize how special they are and how generally few and far between they are. You know, that you that, might be those are two of your favorite guys, Joe. I'm just sitting here thinking you might be a Vittori loss away from some wellness checks. <laughs> <laughs> Vittori's not going to lose. Uh, but I mean, all right, let, let's. Is Usman the greatest welterweight? Of all time? I would have said no so fast. But uh, is it is it Saint is it Saint Pierre Hughes or Usman is what we're left with if we're scratching Lawler? Yeah, and looking at the full body of work, I have to. So, mm. um, I think right where Usman is right now, I mean, I do think that he's pretty primed to take that spot eventually, because yeah. it doesn't seem. I mean, dude, again, no all getting blasted out of there like that i mean you have to figure this guy can knock anybody out this guy can take anybody down and dominate that way he's so good that i mean it's gonna be really hard to beat this guy so as he continues to win and to dominate this division he's just cementing it more and more and more well, I mean, what else is left for him in this division? I mean, no, there's no real big, uh, there's no real big draw. There's no real next contender for him. So there so will be. I don't next? move up. Uh, yeah, GSP. That's Usman. fair. Yeah, I mean, Usman's great. I, I think with his ability to stuff the takedown. I, I think for him to really make that jump and be known as not just the greatest welterweight of all time, the great he, he has a chance to go for the greatest of all time. I, I, I think he could urge Khabib to come out of retirement. I think he's that good. Chase, will you just stop? Can we stop doing this every week? No, I, I that that's the fight to make. Every that has week. to be the fight I to make. If Anthony Johnson cuts down, that Khabib will come out of retirement and fight him and Tatiana Suarez at the same time in a death match. <laughs> no, but is there a better I'll fight to you. make? Is there a better fight to make? The next guy I think I'd like to see Usman fight is Wonder Boy. That's I like. It. I'd like to see that fight. I don't. I mean, I love Wonder Boy. I don't. I mean, I don't love him like I love those other guys. But I don't know that he's he could beat Usman. But I think it's a smart fighter. Does some really cool things. I think you got to stylistically. It's a really tough matchup for Usman. Yeah. Stylistically, Wonder Boy is a tough matchup for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, um. <laughs> 
My brother just commented Anthony Johnson could cut weight, could cut down weight to welterweight and then commit it to a fight. <laughs> Jason's like, ooh, maybe. Uh, but yeah, uh, I was thinking about that the other day. Maybe Wonder Boy gets the next crack because uh, it seems like everybody else like at the it. top has already kind of been dispatched uh, at this point by Usman. He's the only one we don't know better. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I'm with Joe, Wonder Boy. But I, the Khabib fight's the fight to make. Well, listen, you call Khabib and you get him to come out of retirement, defy his mother and his religion and the religious pact that he made, the honor of his father. If you can convince him of all that, you, you I'll, I'll call George St. Pierre. You could do a three-way. I, I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not happening. Stop it. He doesn't want to it fight anymore. It needs to happen, though. It, it seems like Khabib is very happy working the corners. The best wrestler sure, sure in UFC history against the best person at defending the takedown. That that's I, I need that fight to happen. Hey, Khabib, here's a guy that can stuff everything you do. Want to come out of retirement to fight your mother, your father's wishes, and fight that guy and maybe lose? Uh no. I had a what? I had a Matt Hughes joke, but I'm gonna take the high road. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, it would be nice. It would yeah, be nice. I, I love watching Khabib, but I don't. I just don't see it happening. I want it to happen. So yes, no. Listen, <laughs> I want to. I want to be clear about something. We all want it to happen. We know it's not going to happen. You, not sure. Hey, look. Same reason I pick the Giants every week on John about the G-Men. You got to have faith, right? Yeah. And, uh, and a 600 winning percentage. <laughs> hey, who won picks no. on G-Men last year? Sorry. No, I meant that the opposite way. Would they win six games? Were they six and ten? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Megan Anderson was so close, too. <laughs> All right. I mean, you guys are going to talk about that. Let's talk about a different That's fight funny. here. Um, uh... Doug Rose. Doug Rose. Everyone was about to. Jared caught, said Zhang was on right below Amanda Nunes. She was right there. But Doug Rose, baby. <sighs> This was huge. Oh, oh! I cried with Doug Rose. I got. I can't. She's. She's. I mean. And I said last week, if you don't know this girl's story, look her up. Watch some video compilations of Rose Namajunas. Thank me later. Fascinating individual, and um, so so happy for her. Yep, I made the wrong pick, and I couldn't be happier that I that I made the wrong pick. Uh, what a what a fantastic story. What a great high kick. This rivaled um, Holly Holm for me, the boxer coming in and making the changeover and then taking out Goliath. This was, yeah, go Rose. <laughs> Congratulations, Rose. I did say Trevor Whitman was the best trainer in the business, and I only picked Whaley because, I mean, she's been incredible and 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 you had to think that would continue i love thug rose and like jared also was in tears at the end 
Um, <laughs> she's amazing. And I, you know, the thing about that high kick was that she set it up with two sidekicks in the previous few seconds. And you'll note, right, Wiley had her hands kind of out and down, and it came right over the top. Perfect setup. And I know she was a little upset afterwards at the stoppage, out of her mind. Uh, that was bad. And Rose was on her, and, I mean, it, it. her night would have ended in a hospital instead of walking out complaining about what happened. You got straight knocked out there uh, and, and, and saved. And you know what? Live to see another day. I mean, my thought is th there's probably a rematch in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, she that was unfortunate that she fought so hard um, with the stoppage because you she was visibly rocked. That was and out. I think the ground woke her up. Yeah, it I looked think that she way. was out from the kick and the and the ground kind of brought her back too. And then her legs still weren't there. Um, it, it reminds me of uh, DC and uh, John Jones. DC got up and was like, what's going on? And he tried contesting the stoppage because he didn't know what was going on. He didn't remember the kick that, that put him to sleep. I, I think it's the same thing here. She doesn't remember what happens. Next thing you know, she's just it, still yeah. in the ring, and she still thinks the fight's going on. She didn't. She wasn't. She wasn't there mentally for the stoppage because. Imagine, imagine having to be the guy to tell Masvidal what had happened to him. Because he also had no clue what had happened. <laughs> yeah. the you got, one that you got knocked out. Me. No, I didn't. Get By who? Yeah, there. never. Uh, yeah. Number one that comes up for me, somebody getting uh, pissed off that's obviously in trouble, is uh, Zab Judah and Kostya Zoo. I don't know if you remember that fight, but the ref waved it off because Zab tried to jump up to his feet and did the chicken leg dance and wobbled all the way like into the ref, crossed the ring. Ref had to wave it off because his legs were gone. This guy threw a fit, threw a stool in the ring. It was uh, it was a mess. Yeah, Zab Judah Kostya Zoo is the one that comes to mind. But but this this wasn't like that. But still, it's unfortunate when fighters, you know, watching that back on tape. Can you be pissed that guy stopped it? You know, yeah. we want to fight stopped when somebody does what it was like. <laughs> yeah. I wanted it stopped right there. Good stoppage. I'm not mad. Now, Joe, you brought up the potential rematch. There was a interesting proposition I heard on another CMG podcast, Stir the Pot Sports, and a super fight between Rose Nami Yunus and the other victor, the other and still Valentina Shevchenko. Jared, is that a what do you think of that fight? I like it. Oh, I think I like it. Ah, that's a tough fight for Rose. That's a tough oh. fight for anybody. <laughs> yeah. For anybody, yeah. I mean, I'm taking Shevchenko, but who else are they gonna fight? And they Let's and they train they, they train together that. sometimes. I mean, they're friends. It'll be interesting to see how that would go. Man. Yeah. And who's I but, feel but like do uh, really have that I mean Rose can't get the rematch. Shevchenko's cleared out that division. So 
I I, I like that fight. It should be interesting. Uh, I know uh, Shevchenko actually injured Rose in training when they were training together. Um, She's got to be too big, no? I feel uh, like when you saw the two of them standing together, you'd be like, this isn't a great, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I was. That's what I meant to say. Which is which is yeah. That's a real shame <laughs> because it would be a yeah. it would be a great matchup. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, Valentina would definitely. I mean, she's so good right now. That that fight was uh, complete domination, and she. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko might be the best fighter in the UFC. Uh, Andrade is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and still for the second time in her career recently, uh, Valentina put somebody in a crucifix. Um, she said she'd take on anybody. The fight I really want to see is Nunez three, but yeah, I think you right now could stick anybody in a ring with Shevchenko and that person is in big trouble. Like literally oh, yeah. from the second they step into the ring. Yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing for her anymore at flyweight. Anyone that comes at her is going to get destroyed. I mean, and yeah, I mean, you could do the rematch with Nunez, which is probably the fight to make. But I mean, we've seen it so many times, and it's going to be a good fight regardless. It's a joke. It's a joke here. Andre Gook again, Laura Murphy, Jennifer Maya, Cynthia Calvillo, uh, Joanne Calderwood, Jessica I, Roxanne Montefiore. Who do you want to see Shevchenko fight? Lauren Murphy? <laughs> Rose. That's who I want to see her fight. Jennifer Maya? There's no one. So cool. she's going to fight Calderwood in July. Okay. It's the bum of the month club. Just destroy everyone. I, I do think you need to get that. What, what would it be? Trilogy fight with Nunes? Yeah. The, that's the only. Uh, otherwise, well, she's just gonna, yeah, she's just going to continue adding on to her resume, which, I mean, isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, I mean, I, I don't know. There's yeah, just no one at her level at, at flyweight yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, Rose cemented her spot right underneath that, but uh, Nunes and Shevchenko are not to be reckoned with. They're they're on another level. I thought Zhang was getting there. Obviously, this sets her back a bit. Those two are on a totally another level. Elite, elite female fighters. What is it going to take for someone to beat a Shevchenko? Like, what what did they? What is an up and coming fighter. Megan Anderson's to gonna have to cut weight. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> no, but I mean Shevchenko is so well rounded, like I guess the only thing is a power puncher that maybe get a lucky hit in honor. Like, I don't see any holes in Shevchenko's game at all that, that anyone can exploit. So, yeah, yeah. 
Well, and, and, and I agree with Tony here. Like, just Rose is a little too small for Shevchenko the same way Shevchenko is a little too small for Nunes. There's, there's a reason we have weight classes, and those are our champions at those weight classes. They start fighting each other. The bigger one wins most of the time. Yeah, I don't think Calderwood has. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking no up a record does. right now. There's no chance. I mean, that's a. Uh... No, I can't. No one has a chance besides maybe Devison Figueroa. Figueredo, I mean. He. Like, that that should actually be a realistic possibility. You got these guys, Nunez, Shevchenko. No one's going to beat them besides if you have, like, a dude fight them. That's Can the only, nickname. like. Can her nickname be the mom tree? Joanne the mom tree, Calderwood? <laughs> no, nobody's. She's not. She can't beat Shevchenko. No. No. Nope. You're not you're not picking Calderwood, Jace? No one. No. You. <laughs> I didn't pick Andre. Andre. You were going to take uh, Calderwood. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to the who you got. With uh, all, all those belts on the line, let's revisit our top five pound for pound for all combat sports. So, Jared, I. I'm intrigued because you said you had a surprise for us. So let's have you go first. Who's your top five? I'm going to start with a question. Okay. If Clarissa Shields is fifth, am I going to catch any flack from either one of you guys? No. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. I don't know that she's a top five necessarily. I, I, I could see the argument. I'd like to see her do a little more, but. Your call. My point is you can see the argument. I could see you it. You can see sure. the argument. Yeah. I am tired. I go through these pound for pound lists. I can't find females. When I say Clarissa Shields is fifth, you guys say the argument can be made. So Clarissa Shields. And then I've got um, Savannah Marshall who right now today will beat Clarissa Shields and beat her in the Olympics. If you've seen this girl fight, she's one of the greatest boxers pound for pound on the planet. Savannah Marshall, beast. Then Nunes, Shevchenko, based on the better one being smaller, even though she lost, it's pound for pound. That's how it's supposed to work. We've had that conversation before. And Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor, Shevchenko, Nunes, Marshall, Shields. And whichever one of those you want to pick out and make me an argument, I'm wondering why these pound-for-pound pound lists I look up are all full of males. And you can't pick out one of those names that tell me Savannah Marshall doesn't belong fourth and have me make the argument because you're, you're wrong. Any of those, pick them out. Katie Taylor first. Make the argument. Who you got? And that's five females on one, two, three, four, five. Is that my real actual list if I'm sitting down and thinking about it? No. But when I go through the research, I'm getting tired of them being left off this list. And I just made a top five when I asked you if fifth was a problem. No, not really. 
I want the girl that beat her then and would beat her now and at every stage of her career would have beat her Savannah Marshall right ahead of her. There aren't arguments against the things that I'm saying right now if you're okay with Clarissa Shields being fifth. So that's my that's my five this week. Taylor, Shevchenko, Nunes, Marshall, Shields. I like it. That's a solid list. My list uh, features three women as well. Uh, hey! I'll... Yes, Why sir. are we doing this that nobody else is, though? Why does nobody else see how dominant that these females are in these respective sports? It's, it feels like we're the only ones doing this when I do the research, and it's frustrating. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm glad you no, no have three females on it because that sounds like it might be a legitimate list. I will go five to one as you did. I'm going to start at number five with Katie Taylor. Number four, Terrence Bud Crawford. Number three, Amanda Nunez. Number two, Valentina Bullet Shevchenko. And my number one guy right now, pound for pound, and a guy I think is the best fighter currently in the world is Kamaro Usman. Usman. That is a amazingly well-conditioned, all-around, I mean, he's amazing. That's my top guy right now. Wow, we had the exact same two, three, and you, and you, that's your real list. We had the same two, three, and you put my five at one. I like it. Yeah. All right. Okay. My one at five, excuse me. For me, number five, Valentina Shevchenko. Great all around. Just the losses to Nunez. That's the only downside. Number four, Katie Taylor. Great. The best. What, like her and then my number three, Bug Crawford, hand in hand, I think. I, I'm going to say they're tied for three. I'm not even going to put Bud ahead of Katie Taylor. That's how much. Then number two. I'm on two, right? Here's yes. where we generally go off no. the rails, but go on. No, no, Kamar, no, Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman, he deserves it. I mean, he's done what he has to do. Okay, he, he's a beast, and no one can beat him. I don't think anyone can beat him. That's why I'm pushing so hard for this Khabib fight. And number one, I've said it, Jake Paul. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, yeah. I've said it since. She beat Chris Cyborg. Amanda Nunez is number one pound for pound. She's beating she's beating the who's who of women's mixed martial arts besides the the, the straw weights, and that's because she's too big. Anyone you make a Mount Rushmore of women's mixed martial arts, the only person she didn't beat was you know Jacek or like Rose that you'd put on that that Mount Rushmore. Beat Cyborg, beat Holly Holm, beat Ronda Rousey, beat Misha Tate. Like, the only person that can beat Rose is, like, a Davidson Figueroa. Figueredo. I don't know why I keep calling him Figueroa. Or a Peter Yan. Or an Aljamain Sterling. Like, that's the fight that needs to be made because no one else, no woman is going to beat Amanda Nunes. She's just dominant like that. Wow. Um, on my list. Amanda Nunes lost to four people. And everybody else lost to one. That isn't on my list. 
on my list, the only girls who beat those girls are other girls on my list. Except Nunez lost to four. And Shevchenko's lost to Carmouche in the beginning of her career. Was Those are the only list. So, I don't know. She's the only one on that list of females taking losses. That has, that has you know, other losses in her career to girls that aren't on that list. Aside from that Carmouche fight. The only one Shields ever lost to was Marshall. Marshall yeah. and Taylor just won everything. Shevchenko only lost to Nunes. Yeah, but also, I mean, I like for it a pound-for-pound pound list, <laughs> Nunes has two belts. She's shown that she can go uh, – I mean, Shevchenko has shown that as well. But she never won the belt at bantamweight. Yeah, yeah, well, and that'll, that'll solidify it. Hey, and just, just because I thought it was awesome, trivia question, you guys already know the answer. Trivia question I came up with the other day. Tony, you're going to like this. Champion comes into the fight, loses to challenger. They rematch. It's both of their next fight. The challenger is the same challenger that's in the first fight. How does the challenger beat the champion and come in as the challenger for the second fight? I didn't realize what was going on. And when they started introducing the guy first, I'm like, he just beat this guy up last month. How was he the challenger? So the answer was the guy was a double champion and he got beat at middleweight. And then the guy came up. Ritter is the guy's name, came up and took his other strap. At well, where am I going to get a belt now? When he yeah. looked back and forth, I thought that had to be what was right. How am I going to hold my pants up? I'll have to go get a black belt. <laughs> uh you know, it's it's funny. Uh, it made me think of uh, Burr and Hamilton. You know, uh, Aaron Burr's whole life, everywhere he turned, Hamilton was like ahead of him, and then he eventually <laughs> shot that son of a bitch. So, can imagine Why? that guy just keeps taking all your belts. You're like, all right, that's Sweet. it with you. Yeah, I bet, I bet if he's in his house and goes in his closet and one of his belts is missing, he's like, that <laughs> <laughs> I'll let my belt right here. <laughs> oh. But it, it is crazy. I mean, especially now that we are in the age of like double champs, something like that hasn't happened yet, besides right now. I, I feel like some, I feel like the. I feel like that should have happened already, but I don't know. Let's get into the fights this weekend. Starting off, UFC fight night on ESPN2. So, Joe, see what you got to say about it. All right, guys. Tonight on oh, ESPN, Tony. we have an exciting fight in the light heavyweight division as number three ranked Dominic Reyes takes on number five, Yuri Prohaska. Let's break it down. Yuri Prohaska, 28 years old. He's six foot three with an 80 inch reach and a record of 27 and three with 24 knockouts and two submissions. From Brno, Czech Republic, a natural athlete, Prohaska began training in Muay Thai at the age of 16 while serving in the Brno Protective Service Secondary Academy. And immediately after graduating, he won a national Muay Thai World Championship. He made his pro debut in MMA the following year in 2012 with a first-round knockout of Stanislav Futera and won his next three by stoppage before being knocked out himself by Bojan Velikovic in his fifth fight. 
In his 10th pro fight in 2013, he won the inaugural GFC Light Heavyweight Championship in a brutal fight with Martin Sulk, knocking out Sulk in three rounds with a flying knee. He defended his belt seven times with six stoppages before signing with Ryzen and entering their light heavyweight Grand Prix, knocking out Satoshi Ishii with a head kick. Two days later, he scored a TKO over Vadim Nemkov, but lost later that night via knockout against Mohamed Lawal. He bounced back from that loss by winning his next seven fights, six by knockout, before challenging for the light heavyweight title in a rematch with Lawal. After a grueling two and a half rounds, Proaska landed a series of hooks and uppercuts, knocking Lawal out and getting his revenge. In his first defense, he took on veteran Fabio Maldonado, stunning him halfway through the first round, backing him up against the ropes and knocking him out with a three-punch combination. In his last fight for Ryzen, he defended his belt against C.B. Dalloway, knocking him out with a right uppercut and a left hook combo. In early 2020, he signed with the UFC and in July took on number seven light heavyweight Vulcan Ozdemir. In an all-action brawl that saw over 100 punches thrown in the first round, Prowaska stunned Ozdemir with a head kick and then finished him off with a brutal right cross. A wildly unorthodox fighter who carries immense power in both hands, Prohaska also boasts 100% takedown defense and frequently switches stances to confuse his opponents. He has excellent cardio and tends to overwhelm his opponents, but he also holds his hands dangerously low, absorbing seven significant strikes per minute and having two of his three losses coming by way of knockout. Dominic Reyes, 31 years old. He's six foot four with a 77-inch reach and a record of 12-2 and two with seven knockouts. From Hesperia, California, Reyes, a natural athlete, attended Stony Brook University in New York, where he was the starting safety and captain of the football team. After failing to get drafted in the 2013 NFL draft, he moved back to work for his father's cabinetry business. To blow off steam, he joined a local gym where he began training in MMA and decided to start fighting as an amateur, amassing a record of 5-0 before turning pro in 2014 with a first-round knockout. After knocking out Jordan Powell with a perfectly timed head kick in his sixth fight, he signed with the UFC, making his debut by knocking out Joaquin Christensen with a straight left hand right down the middle. He followed that up with a rear naked choke of Jeremy Kimball, and in his first major step up in class, knocked out Jared Cannonier in one round, stunning him with a brutal series of punches and kicks before putting him out with an uppercut. After winning a pair of decisions over Ovin St. Prue and Vulcan Ozdemir, he headlined his first UFC show against Chris Weidman, knocking out the former middleweight champion in the first round with a slick straight left counter, followed by heavy ground and pound. On February 8, 2020, Reyes took on the great John Jones for the undisputed light heavyweight title. Despite outlanding and dropping Jones twice, Reyes lost a controversial unanimous decision in a brutal back-and-forth war in which 14 of the 21 media outlets covering it scored it three rounds to two in favor of Reyes. Seven months later, after Jones moved up, he took on Jan Blahovich for the vacant title. He had some early success in round one, but began eating a series of kicks to his right side. Incurring heavy damage and wearing down fast, he was dropped in round two with a left hook and stopped by heavy ground and pound from Blahovich. An explosive and athletic counterpuncher, Reyes is light on his feet and can change direction on a dime often baiting opponents to walk onto his left uppercuts. 
An expert at closing the distance and cutting angles, Reyes employs an excellent jab and calf kick to measure his opponents and also boasts an 82% takedown defense. Will Reyes be able to end his two-fight losing streak and put himself back into position for another title shot? Or will Prohaska continue with his sensational unbeaten run to prove he's among the best in the division? Tune in tonight and let's find out. <laughs> you nice and relax there, Jared? Yeah, man. Dude, that Prohaska kid, there were some <laughs> knockouts I hadn't seen there. That CB Dalloway, he bounced. He hit oh, the ground dude. and bounced. He liked yeah. that Roy Wood comedy bit. I was just... <laughs> and the dust. You saw the... Oh, man. I watched yeah, a lot of knockouts. Crap, huh? I watched a lot of knockouts the last couple of days, Jared, and that one was definitely my favorite. I mean, you don't see the bounce often. No, no. He landed just right. Doop, doop. <laughs> That was beautiful. So what was Tony's pick? He doesn't give us a pick here? No, he wants us to pick. Tony doesn't like to weigh in on that stuff. Uh, I mean, the easy pick's for Asuka, but, uh, but this is the type of fight you don't want to pick either guy. I, I can see either one of them getting, getting clipped. But, um, yeah, Reyes to lose by stoppage. Might go, might go four. Oh, wow. Interesting. Reyes stopped in the fourth. I'm going to say Reyes stops him in the third. I think it's a big fight for Reyes. I think, you know, look, he's got the, he's got, he's got more experience. He's a better fighter. And I I think if Prohaska has an issue, it's those hands drop from time to time. And Reyes isn't the kind of guy you want to do that against. So. You know, hopefully he takes advantage. He really needs a win here to get himself back uh, into contention. So it'll be interesting. I, I don't get how is Prowaska the, the easy pick for you, Jared? I, I don't get that at all. Oh, well, because he hasn't lost two fights in a row. That's a good call. Yeah, but I mean. <laughs> We don't know what we're getting from the other guy. You know, controversially, he's won. What is this, 11? 11 in a row? I mean, that's not bad. The the two losses for Reyes in a row, I mean, the John Jones one, that was questionable. A questionable loss. The, 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 the Blackwoods one, I, I get that. But, I mean. You're looking for your guy to bounce back. And I'm looking for my guy to maintain trajectory. Okay. Yeah, but, I mean, Prohaska hasn't been in in the cage with the guys. Like, he doesn't know what it's like to be a champion, to to face a UFC champion, to face possibly the greatest of all time in MMA and John Jones. I, I, I just oh, Ovdemir Dalloway and Maldonado can all scrap KO one KO one KO two one two three four nine minutes totally knocked out all three of those guys Ozdemir Dalloway Maldonado not uh, just under nine minutes shade I'm under surpri- nine minutes for all three I'm of them. I'm surprised you think this is going four. I struggled with three. I feel like this is this is a fight with two guys who will punch each other really hard and are and are both pretty good punchers. So, 
I think the possibility of one of these guys knocking out the other one is great. And gosh, I'm almost talking myself into not picking Reyes now because I'm thinking if the guy that's yeah, I don't know. I'm still going to say Reyes. I'm going to go Reyes for because Prowaska hasn't been in those championship rounds, hasn't been in those main event rounds. Yeah, but Reyes hasn't won those rounds. That's the only concern I would have in, you know what I mean? But he's still been there, done that. No, I, I, again, hasn't. well, again, Prowaska, four fights ago, I went to decision. A split decision with a guy that got knocked out. You, there's a common opponent. MMA math doesn't always work. Uh, well, I know styles make fights, but I'll take the guy coming off 11 wins before I take the guy taking off two coming off two losses. I get that he's that he's uh, um, faced better competition. Got that better pedigree, but I just want the guy on the way up here. I think it's the it's the more sensible pick. And he didn't look bad facing the better competition either. I, I'm just the, the, like I get the pick. The the I'm just struggling with how it's you, you called it such an easy pick. But that's well, well I think it's hard for me to get my head around the that. two. I think it's just the smarter pick of the two. Yeah, can I can well, I, I mean, weigh in on that? Line look like. Yeah, I think if, if you look at you know, uh, there's a reason Jared and I both picked Chang Wai Lee last week, and it's not that we don't love or believe in Rose Namajumas, but I mean, what you have a 20 fight win streak. It's hard to bet against somebody that's just been raking up the wins, and. I mean, it's not like Prohaska's fighting absolute nobodies. I mean, he's definitely knocking on the door. I I do think Reyes is is better than um, what you're giving him credit for, Jared. I mean, he did lose two really tough fights to the two best guys in the division. Now, the question is, can Prohaska become the third best guy in that division? And a win here... Bye-bye, Reyes. You're out. So Yeah, he's the favorite. For Min- him. Minus 135, Dominic Reyes, plus 115. So I'm telling you that the favorite is the easier pick of the two. I mean, he's favored. <laughs> well, I mean... It shouldn't be shocking. No, no, and I and I thought Dominic Reyes would be the favorite here too. I just think the more obvious choice is, I think, how I said it. Look, on his way up. I've said this before when picking against Las Vegas. (laughs) There's a reason they have their guy that's the favorite, and there's the reason why they have the other guy. And I think when you consider that, um. There, there's. I, I, I understand why Jared said it's the, it's an easy pick. That said, I mean Reyes, up until the John Jones fight, was undefeated and and had, for the most part, uh, dispatched everybody. So, I mean, it, it's not like he's not a good fighter anymore. Uh, he's only thirty one years old, so he he's still in the prime of his career. Is a tough son of a bitch. You know what I mean? It's a, this is a tough one. Yeah, they've yeah. both been stopped and both have the capability of stopping the other guy. 
I think there'll be a certain amount of respect to go in there with. That's why I said to go four. I think by two, three, they'll start loosening up, get a little tired, just get into their zones, and somebody's getting clipped. But uh, they're they're both going to have to go in there and be careful because they're they like I said they both been stopped and they're both capable of stopping the other guy. I also think it's very hard to lose three fights in a row when you're as good as Dominic Reyes, and and I think it's a pretty big step up from Uzdemir to Reyes because I mean let's be real Uzdemir he's never really fighting for that. I mean, he had that one fight against DC, but he, I mean, it showed he's not that championship level. Dominic Reyes has shown that he can hang in there with the, the champs and be, and he deserves at least somewhat of a spot at the top of that division. I just haven't seen that from Prowaska yet. So Prowaska has 11 wins in a row. He has nine straight knockouts, and he has 10 knockouts in those 11 fights. And most of them are in round one. He avenged the loss to Muhammad Lawal by knocking his ass out. Um, this guy's really good. I mean, you know, uh, 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 oh, yeah. again, looking at his resume, I mean, he's definitely fought some people here. Uh, and, and he's had zero trouble with these people. I love Dominic Reyes. That's the other thing. I, I am a Reyes fan. I, I find myself really uh, struggling here. I'm going to go with, with Reyes's experience, though, Jace, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I, I you can't look past the fact that he, the greatest of all time, John Jones, multiple people had him winning that fight against John Jones. That, that That's my real determining factor but so 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 hang on hang on somebody that great can't lose three in a row i just want to i just uh pulled up roy jones jr on box wreck and after losing to tarver glenn johnson and tarver sandwiched some wins over omar sheikah felix trinidad and jeff lacy and then lost three in a row again to danny green bernard hopkins and uh, and then dennis lebedev so he could lose three in a row you could be great and lose three in a row. I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I still, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think he's got less, less opportunity. It's a 70, 30 fight. Okay. Give me the I, kid on the upswing. I, I'm interested, but let's move on from the cage heading to the world of boxing with Fox pay-per-views, Andy Ruiz versus Chris Ariola. Chris Ariola, 40 years old. He's six foot three with a 76 inch reach and a record of 38, six, one, and two with 33 knockout. From East LA, Ariola was introduced to boxing by his father at the age of eight and at 20 years old won the national golden gloves at light heavyweight. After amassing over 200 amateur fights, he turned pro in 2003 with a second round knockout. He rose steadily throughout the ranks going 23-0 before taking on fellow undefeated prospect Chaz Witherspoon. In a bizarre turn of events, Witherspoon was disqualified after getting dropped when his corner entered the ring before the eight count was over. After knocking out Israel Garcia and Travis Walker, Ariola took it 
on former number one contender Jamil McCline winning via fourth round knockout. That put him in line to challenge champion Vatili Klitschko for the WBC title. After 10 one-sided rounds, Ariola's team threw in the towel to prevent him from sustaining further damage. After losing a majority decision to former cruiserweight champ Tomas Adamek, he won the next seven with knockouts over Nagy Aguilera and Eric Molina to challenge Bermain Stavern for the WBC silver belt. He lost via unanimous decision, and in the rematch the following year, he was stopped in the sixth round. He bounced back with wins over Curtis Harper and Travis Kaufman, but in 2016 was stopped by WBC champ Deontay Wilder. After a two-year layoff, he came back in 2018, defeating Lorenzo Smith and Jean-Pierre Augustine. But in his last fight, lost a unanimous decision to Brooklyn's Adam Konaki. A relentless pressure fighter, Ariola wears his opponents down with volume, often throwing upwards of a thousand punches per fight, and possesses both a granite chin and tremendous power. Andy Ruiz Jr., 31 years old, he's six foot two with a 74 inch reach and a record of 33 and two with 22 knockout. From Imperial, California, Ruiz was turned on to boxing at the age of seven by his father. In an amateur career that saw him go 105 and 5, Ruiz twice won the Mexican National Junior Olympics and went on to represent Mexico in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, losing to Colombia's Oscar Rivas. The following year, at the age of 19, Ruiz turned pro with a first-round knockout of Miguel Ramirez. He won his next 20 with 14 knockouts before facing former Golden Gloves champion Tor Hammer, stopping him in the third round. He followed that up with victories over the likes of Sergei Liankovic and Ray Austin, then took on Joseph Parker for the vacant WBO title, losing a very close majority decision. He bounced back with a first-round knockout of hey, Devin Elliot, Vargas, a decision over Kevin Johnson, and a fifth-round stoppage of Alexander Dimitrenko after Anthony Joshua versus Jarrell Miller fight was scrapped after a positive PED test. Ruiz offered to take the fight on a month's notice. On July 1st, 2019, Ruiz pulled off one of the greatest upsets in boxing history when, after suffering a third-round knockdown, he caught an, an overzealous Anthony Joshua with a left hook to the temple and dropping him with a barrage of punches. The beating continued for four more rounds when, after three more knockdowns, the referee called a halt to the fight, making Ruiz the first fighter of Mexican descent to win the heavyweight title. The victory was short-lived, however, as seven months later, they fought a rematch in Saudi Arabia with Ruiz coming, coming in 20 pounds heavier and losing the four belts back to Joshua after a very controlled and tamed 12 rounds. 
a deceptively fast counterpuncher. Ruiz possesses decent power and an iron jaw. Fighting out of a shell guard, he is a very good defensive fighter and recently switched to Canelo Alvarez's trainer, Eddie Reynoso. All right, Joe, who's going to win? Well, uh, so since the Klitschko fight, uh, Areola is 11, 6, and 1 with a no contest. Ruiz uh, comes into this fight uh, almost 30 pounds heavier, uh, the better fighter, the faster fighter. Uh, I just think Areola's, uh, Areola, this fight is designed for Ruiz to take the fight serious get a win and get himself back into contention. So let's hope that Ruiz has been training unlike he did <laughs> for his rematch with Joshua, which may have been the stupidest thing anyone's ever done in boxing. And there's definitely yeah. a lot of competition for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll ride with that. I think this is see, and I'd love to say uh it depends on which Andy Ruiz is gonna show up, you know, Andy Ruiz from Anthony Joshua one or Anthony Joshua two. And that if Anthony Joshua the problem is that Chris Ariola can't beat the Andy Ruiz Jr. from the second fight with Joshua. I think in his worst whatever fight Andy Ruiz came in at his worst, that Andy Ruiz will beat Chris Ariola in the first six, seven rounds. That being said, I don't think that's the Ruiz we're going to get based on the weigh-in. And uh, within the first three rounds, Ruiz stops Ariola. Yeah, I think uh, Andy Ruiz had a couple salads before this fight instead of a couple chimichangas. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like Andy Ruiz. He he's learned from his mistakes in, in that uh, second fight with Joshua. But but I mean, he also knows what it takes to be a champion, and he knows what it's like to be a champion. So I think that loss was good for him, and I think he is going to bounce back. And this is the perfect guy to bounce back because uh, Ariel, while he's solid, he is like that. Uh, I guess he is kind of like a gatekeeper. For the heavyweights, I mean, if you can't beat him, there's no no shot in hell you're, you're getting the championship. But if you can't beat him, yeah, you might be able to. And it's funny you said that because uh, I think Chimichanga was just named as Canelo's next opponent if he gets past us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's to look forward to. So, you know, funny, uh, going into the Klitschko fight, he was 27-0. and 0. Ariola. I mean, this back in yeah. 2009. This is a long time ago, too. Don't forget that he's 40 years old, but uh, this guy was, was a guy on the rise, and, and I just don't feel like he ever really recovered from that. Um, mm, this, this, to me, this, to me, seems like a, a, a perfect setup fight for Ruiz. I think he knocks him out in the seventh round. I think Ruiz is gonna... I think Ruiz needs to work it a little bit. I don't want to see Ruiz go out there and blast this guy out early. I want to see Ruiz fight a little bit. Show us what you got. Show us that you're not a big fat loser who had the world by the balls and you were like, bah, I'm just going to eat my way through it. Are you insane? This is a, I mean, there's a lot of big fights fight. happening in the next year. This is a chance for Ruiz to, to grab the losers of some of these big fights coming up 
and and again work himself back to the top. Yeah. Did you see Ariola's last fight? Yeah. Konaki, yeah. On yeah, on uh undefeated subpar heavyweight, in my opinion. Went the distance. Decent fight. That guy doesn't go seven with Andy six, six or seven. Ah, oh, no, nah, man. If Ruiz shows up for this fight, he finishes him early. Second, third round. Let's see if Ruiz shows up. Yeah. Yeah, well, that too. If I'm he doesn't, him. six or seven's a good, good yeah. job. So I, I'm going to give him, I'm give him a little leeway on kind of getting, you know what I mean? Because, uh, I, 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 look, I like Ruiz. I, I, I want to see him go in there and blast this guy out. But I, I really do. I think he needs to get some rounds in. I, I wouldn't want to see him drop this guy too early. I want to see him really fight a little bit. Get you know, sh- show us show us you're serious. You know, show us you trained for this. Show us you did learn the lesson from Joshua too. Show us all that. This is a good chance tonight against a guy who really can't do much against you. Nah, uh, he, he I, I think he needs to put him away early though to just sh- show that he still belongs. At that level, because I mean, Ariola is. I mean, he's not. He's not on that level, and if you go that that long with him, it it just makes you look worse. And I mean, Ariola also he he throws a lot, and I mean, a thousand punches per fight, and it the more he throws, the more likely one is going to land, and who knows. So I think Ruiz does need to dispatch of him early, take care of business, move on to bigger and better things, and hopefully get back at the belt. Ariola hasn't knocked out a guy straight up since 2013. So he could throw 5,000 punches. He's probably not landing one that's going to knock you out. I think Ruiz will be fine. Again, I think if you're Ruiz, man, I think you got to go in there and show people you could really fight. Going in there and knocking oh, and a guy Seth out. Seth Mitchell was a light heavyweight. Seth Mitchell was just an inflated light heavyweight too, a football player. Like that's the that's the last guy he knocked out. So yeah. point taken, Joe. Good, I don't good yeah, I just I don't wanna I don't wanna see him just go in there and and and, and blow Ariola out. I wanna see Ruiz fight. I wanna see Ruiz show some conditioning. I wanna see him box a little bit. I wanna see him take some punches. Wow. I think it would be Can good get, for him. Uh, that Tony comment, whoo boy, there it is. There's there's the there's the analogy for you. Ruiz needs to make a big statement because as of right now, he's the millennial Buster Douglas. Yes, a hundred percent. Yep, a hundred percent. And it's time he's got to win this one, get back in the picture, and make himself relevant again. Because yeah, otherwise you're the Buster Douglas for the new generation. But. I hate how I have to bring this up. If Andy Ruiz does what me and Jared think he's going to do and come out, get rid of it early, I I think that puts him farther away from a title shot than if he comes out, dances with Ariel for a little bit, and then puts him away. I don't think so. Not not in this heavyweight landscape. Maybe there were times, but... I mean, he's shown that he can be... I don't know, man. What do you want to say? Say what you're going to say. I no, he's shown that he can knock a guy out. He's shown what he can do to Anthony Joshua, who even though, I mean, Anthony Joshua is so great. You're if saying they're going to start come... ducking Andy Ruiz if he knocks out Chris Ariola early? 
No, I'm just saying it's an easier <laughs> path. He's gonna. People are already duck. I mean, we might not. It came out earlier this week that Bob Arum is not. He doesn't think the Fury and Joshua fight is going to happen. So I mean, so all the more reason to be serious about this fight. To go out there and show people that I can box a little bit. I can get hit a little bit, and then I could put away a guy in in in. And again, dude, it, uh, here's Smash my whole that thing. Fury fight. Yeah, look, you're you're not impressing me if you knock this guy out in the second round. You you didn't really do much. You hit him with one good punch. It doesn't tell me about your conditioning. It doesn't tell me how serious your training was. It doesn't tell me anything but you can knock a guy out. That's great. That's not that's not going to be enough to get you a, a title shot again or to compete for an, an actual championship if you were to get one of these fights. You got to show the world that the Joshua thing because in the second fight, it, it looked pretty obvious that the first fight was a fluke. So what are you going to do now? This guy's 40 years old, 11-6-1 with a no contest since the Klitschko fight. This is a great opportunity for Ruiz to go in there and show off his skills. Think about what, what, what a Valentina Shevchenko did against Jennifer Maya, where she kept that, that chick around just so she could beat her ass a little bit. I want to practice my wrestling in the second round. I'm just going to wrestle her in the second round. I mean, uh, to go out there and make a statement, knocking Chris Ariola out in the second round doesn't make a statement to me. Going out there and pounding that guy for four or five rounds and then dropping him, that would make me like, oh, all right, Ruiz, yeah. That's what I'm looking for from him tonight. Not a knock. I, I don't care when the I want the knockout to come because he's been pulverizing that guy. Okay. I think this guy can stand up to his punches if he's in shape. I think he'll start stretching out and go, oh, you know, oh, this is like wrestling with Holland. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this guy out of here. Oh, that was great. But I mean, it, it should be interesting. Uh, is it pay per view worthy? I don't think so, but I'm still going to check it out. I love Andy Ruiz. But now let's get into some championship fights. Starting off with someone that we had on all three of our pound-for-pound pound lists, Katie Taylor. Tasha Jonas, 36 years old, standing five foot eight with a record of nine wins, one loss, and one draw with seven wins coming by way of knockout. From Liverpool, England, Jonas took up boxing in 2005 at the age of 21 and within five years had already become a highly decorated amateur, having won five ABA championships, as well as winning bronze medals in both the European and World Championships. In 2012, Jonas made history when she became the first British female fighter to qualify for the Olympic Games, making it to the quarterfinals where she earned a bronze medal in a losing effort to Katie Taylor. She ended her amateur career in 2014 with a record of 57 wins and 26 losses and then worked as a mentor for the Liverpool Youth Sport Trust for several years until deciding to turn pro in 2017, defeating Monica and Tonic by first-round TKO. She won her next four fights that year by knockout after picking up wins over Karina Kapinska and Tao Usi Haji for the WBA International Super Featherweight Belt she suffered her only career defeat 
a fourth round knockout to Brazil's Vivian Obinov. She came back seven months later and won three fights in 2019, including two knockouts to set up a fight with WBC super featherweight champion Terry Harper. After 10 hard-fought rounds, the fight was ruled a split draw. A hard-hitting southpaw, Jonas fights from behind a high guard with the ability to close distance with an effective jab and a straight left hand, but prefers to fight in close, landing heavy body shots. Katie Taylor's 34 years old. She stands 5 feet 5 inches tall with a 65-inch reach and has a record of 17 wins and no losses with 6 knockouts. From Bray, Ireland, boxing was in her blood as her father was a light heavyweight contender and her mother was Ireland's first female referee. She began boxing at 12 years old and at 15 won the first officially sanctioned women's boxing match in Ireland. In an amateur career that saw her amass a record of 175 wins and 12 losses, she won five consecutive gold medals at the World Championships, six gold medals at the European Championships, five gold medals at the European Union Championships, and a gold medal at the 2012 Summer Olympics. After losing in the quarterfinals at the 2016 Olympics, she turned pro with a third-round knockout in her second fight. She shut out Vivian Obanov. She followed that up with two more wins before knocking out Nina McKee in the seventh round to claim the WBA Intercontinental Lightweight title. And after knocking out Jasmine Clarkson, she won a unanimous decision over Argentina's Anai Sanchez to take the vacant WBA Lightweight title. Two fights later, she picked up the IBF belt from Victoria Bustos, and after three title defenses, she took the WBO title from Rose Volante via ninth round TKO. Just three months later, she made history by defeating WBC champion Delphine Persoon to become one of only eight boxers and the only female to unify a division by holding all four belts. She further cemented her legacy by defeating Persoon in the rematch, and in 2020, she won a wide decision over Spain's Miriam Gutierrez. The most decorated female fighter of all time, she possesses lightning-fast footwork, a solid jab, a powerful left hook, and will often frustrate her opponents by leaning forward with her hands down, leaning backward, landing a shot, and then pivoting to either side to reset herself. Jared. That was good. That was great. That was, nice what, job. Who was that? Wow. <laughs> Jared. That's your job. That boy good. What is listen, Katie Taylor? Katie Taylor, number one on my pound for pound list. Yeah. This week. Fierce. Phenomenal. One of the greatest fighters in the game, hands down. Um, and if you listen to that, uh, she started as a little kid with boxing in her family. Jonas started at 21, was pursuing other careers. Um She's 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 just not on the same level. Katie stopped the girl that stopped her. Uh, does Katie Taylor get the finish? Is the better question than who wins the fight? This is this is Katie Taylor all day, and the betting open two fifty, and is minus two fifty for Katie Taylor. It's now up to minus seven hundred. I said lock in Eubanks, Bivol. 
Katie Taylor and Joe Parker this weekend. I said, lock in those four. When I said that, $25 would have won you 20. Today, $25 wins you six on those four people, on those four fights. All of them have jumped up. This is so much worse than they thought it was when they set the lines. Katie Taylor, decisively, she might give up two rounds. I like a decision. Joe, Nine three, let's call it. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I was going to say, you know, Katie's won decisions in six of her last seven fights. Um, and for the most part, it's just been pulverizing people. So, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like a, a 10 2 9 3 uh, beatdown of uh, of Jonas is what's in store for tonight. Oh, yeah. The only way Jonas is going to get around is it's a pity round. Judges feel bad. I mean, Taylor's top of the game in all. And you can argue, like Jared did, in all of combat sports. And she is definitely the top of the game, women's combat sports, as far as boxing goes. But I will I mean, say one. Let me say one thing, too. Yep. You know, looking for video of these female fighters. Um, even last week, I read of the same thing with, with even Shevchenko and, and, and Namajunas is finding video of them fighting on the internet i mean i found i found footage of dominic reyes playing college football i can't find like katie taylor's first fight on the internet like that's sad it is yeah yeah i mean it's yeah i'm sure you i I don't know I, i don't understand why katie taylor deserves the respect and also but i do think a little bit of that does come with like she doesn't really have that one dance partner. She doesn't have that one person to push her really to make her get to that next level because she just destroys everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, you need a rival. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like Shevchenko and Nunez. I mean, it's just the bum of the month club now. UConn women's basketball got boring until Tennessee and then Notre Dame started giving it to them every now and again. You, it, it, it's not a rivalry of one person just beating everybody's brains in. Yeah. I think it would be good for Katie Taylor to have somebody she could go a couple of fights with, another phenom, and, and you know, that, that would be – that might really help elevate what she's doing in, in the female sport in general. With her age, I don't think it can happen because the girl isn't there yet, you know, and when she shows up, Katie will be 38 by the time she's ready. She may pick off a Canelo Alvarez on her way out, but, uh, you know, like the Floyd and Canelo thing, you know, but um, she may like get one with that, whoever that next girl is, but I don't see it. She, she retires undefeated in all likelihood. Yeah, uh, the the, that that's a big thing with boxing, with these top guys, with the Katie Taylor, Bud Crawford, Lomachenko. You don't really have that. I mean, Lomachenko kind of has it now with Teofimo Lopez. You don't have that guy to make you better. The guy that has these fights. You have this this big fight that can turn into a trilogy that people are talking about. He. It's not, it's not Lopez for Loma. I understand the comparison, but it's not because yeah. that's a that's a perfect example. But Loma had to go up. Find 
him, and if he beat him, we would that wouldn't be a part of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. he built that in. If 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 Katie Taylor goes up and fights Clarissa Shields, they somehow find a catch weight they can both make. It's not gonna happen. But if they did and she loses that fight and finds and we want a rematch and there's a dance partner, she's he manu Loma manufactured that dance partner because he didn't have one. And lost the fight. Lost a great fight. All right. Now let's talk about the main event on the zone. Light heavyweights. Greg Richards and Dimitri Bivol meet tonight for the WBA light heavyweight world title. Let's break it down. Craig Richards is 30 years old. He's 6'1 with a 73-inch reach and a record of 16-1-1 with nine knockouts. From Croydon, England, he made his professional debut in 2015 with a first-round knockout over James Child. After winning his first 10, he challenged Frank Bugliani for the British light heavyweight title, losing a 12-round unanimous decision. He came back with three straight wins before taking on Jake Ball for the vacant WBA continental title. In an impressive display of power, Richard stopped Ball in the third round. A unanimous decision over Andre Sterling and a draw with Chad Sudgen followed before he challenged for the British light heavyweight title against new champion Shakan Pitters. After a back-and-forth battle, Richards caught Pitters against the ropes, landing a right uppercut followed by a devastating left hook to knock Pitters out cold and claim the belt. A decent boxer with quick footwork and good power, Richards enters the fight as the number five contender. Dimitri Bivol is 30 years old. He's six feet tall with a 70-inch reach and a perfect record of 17-0 with 11 knockouts. Born in Kyrgyzstan and raised in Russia, he took up boxing at six years old, winning two world amateur titles and amassing a record of 268-15 before turning pro in 2014 with a six-round knockout of Jorge Oliveira. After winning his first six fights by knockout, he defeated Felix Valara in dominant fashion to become the WBA interim light heavyweight champion. In his first defense, he took on Robert Barrage, overwhelming him and forcing a stoppage. Knockouts over Samuel Clarkson, Cedric Agnew, and Trent Broadbent followed before Bibble faced his toughest test yet against dangerous veteran Sullivan Barrera. Despite a cut eye caused by an accidental headbutt, Bivol dominated the action, outboxing the more experienced Cuban before dropping him in the last round and forcing the stoppage. In his next fight against longtime contender Isaac Chalemba, Bivol put on another dominant performance, putting up a virtual shutout with scores of 120 to 108. He followed that with another one-sided beating, this time over former champion Jean Pascal, and in 2019 further demonstrated why he's considered one of the elite with a total wipeout of New York's Joe Smith Jr., who, despite landing the occasional right hand, was completely outclassed by the craftier champion. He capped off 2019 with another masterclass, this time over Gilbert Castillo. An incredibly fluid and technically proficient boxer, Bivol has exceptional footwork and power, and is among the finest defensive fighters in the sport. He has an excellent chin and controls the pace of his fights with remarkable concentration, and ability to close the distance and cut off the ring. Craig Richards versus Dimitri Bivol for the WBA light heavyweight world title tonight. Come on. Joe, uh, what do you got? 
Bibble will knock him out by round four. He is so good. Yes, yes, I, I agree. There's only one dance partner that Bivol has at that weight class. Artur Baturbiev. Oh yeah. Even that is uh I don't know. Jared. Baturbiev is smash either one of these guys. Um uh Bivol and over six and a half is what I took. Um I think Bivol might get to him, but this is a tougher gamier guy than most of his opposition relatively speaking and uh i think if he gets him it'll be late but bibbles bibbles the obvious answer here for sure yeah i mean all right i i like it yeah bibble should win this and hopefully he can fight baturbiev and that'd be a great light heavyweight fight but Let's end the show. Uh, I mean, let's end the show like we always do. Jared? Yeah. Yeah, The uh, this week we got a very special Scrub Scrap Spotlight. Uh, personal friend and mentor of mine, Iceman John Scully. Yeah, and let's give him a preview of John Scully. Ladies and gentlemen, set your calendars for this Saturday, May 1st at 10 a.m. where Throwing Jabs goes live as Big Jace, Joe Aguirre, and Jared Jones sit down with special guest, Connecticut Boxing Hall of Famer, Iceman John Scully. Um, while we wait for uh, Iceman to log on, I guess I'll start giving some of the background. When I was 14 years old, I was bullied relentlessly um, at home in school. I mean, we've gone over some of the things that I went through being bullied. And I just showed up at a gym. I rode my bike there. And I just wanted to fight somebody, anybody, you know. And um, that's where I met John for the first time. There he, there he is. What's up, Vice Man? Oh, I guess it froze. Got a weak signal. But he's really there. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, give some, give, give your backstory. Yeah. Now. Let's hear all about it and uh, we'll catch up. All right. So, um, 14, 15 years old, going to the gym for the first time, and I'm ready to fight. Hey, can I fight somebody? And John says, uh, you know, let's do some pad work and see if you have any skill. We did some pad work, and he said, uh, you're not ready to fight anybody in here. All of these guys will hurt you. And, I mean, I'm heartbroken. At the time, I was just like, I didn't care about getting hurt, you know? I kind of wanted one person standing in front of me where I knew where the punches were coming from. You know, I'm not, I, I wasn't going to get hit with a piece of food or have somebody kneeling behind me and get knocked over or something. You know, I knew where the punches were coming from. So I really didn't mind the ass opens. 
You know, I wanted to just get in there and fight somebody. I just wanted to fight. So to have somebody I, I, I looked up to, I watched on TV as a child with my father, you know, um, say that he didn't want me to fight any of those guys was kind of heartbreaking, you know. Um, I left there, started going to other gyms, and a lot of the other trainers let me fight. They, they didn't. They didn't have any qualms about putting me in the ring with uh, somebody to help build them up. Now, you guys know I'm on the uh, autism spectrum. Uh, one of the symptoms that, that is most, uh, has most affected my life is sensory-related claustrophobia. So the fact is I see three or four punch combination. I kind of turtle up. Um, it's why my jab's so proficient, you know? I made a habit of never fighting hard enough to never get to that point where I saw three or four in a row to hide the fact that I was, uh, as Scully once said, um, when you corner me falls like wet bread. <laughs> um, so I'm going gym to gym to gym and uh, willing to fight and basically getting, getting fed to fighters that were uh, maybe had a future in boxing, you know, as soon as the trainer realized I didn't have a future in boxing, if it, it was, um, the goal was to get me to someone who wasn't going to hospitalize me, but could build their confidence and get them some work in. Um, I found myself basically going from like eating food by myself in the back of the lunchroom to working a heavy bag by myself in the back of the gyms. Um, I hope he can hear me. <laughs> I was in my mid twenties uh, and when one of the gyms I'd been to 40, 50 gyms maybe at this point um, and had that similar, that first experience I had with John was, was uh, unique in that he didn't let me fight anybody, which I kind of took as a slight at the time. Um, in my mid twenties, I went back to the gym he was in um, and we went through that same drill. I want to fight somebody. All right, well, let's do some pad work. And he, he put, put the hand pads on and we did some pad work. And you're not ready to fight anybody here, but I'll spar with you. Um, and I wanted to prove to him I could fight. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm in peak physical condition of my life. And I'm fighting one of my childhood heroes. And I'm throwing excess of 100 punches around, and he's maybe throwing one or two. And he's just parrying and blocking everything and moving around, and I'm exhausting myself. I'm hurting myself worse than I'm hurting him. And I'm putting all this energy into it. Um, and after five rounds, I started falling. He was walking me down and still didn't need to throw any punches to beat me. Um, and I got out of the ring just completely exhausted and caught my breath and went to the back and started working a heavy bag. And uh, I remember John walking over there and asking me about falling. I've never seen that before. You can jump rope 20 minutes, half hour to clip without a kick, you know, so I know there's nothing wrong with your legs. What do you think's going on? I learned later, I 
got a master's degree in psychology and at some point learned about sensory related claustrophobia and what was really going on for me. Um, but couldn't tell him at the time, just that I was going to be able to fight my way through it and make my way into this club. Um, and he stood over there at the heavy bag and showed me some things and talked to me and, um, the sparring session, I'll never forget because I was trying to arm wrestle my way through a chess match. And it was the only way a kid like me was going to learn that lesson that you can't fight your way through everything. Let me tell you some of the other things that were going on in that gym at the time. Um, excuse me. I wanted to first ask John what uh, what his interpretation of scrub scraps was and then asked him what he thought made his training style different from other people. Other trainers, what else was going on in that gym is uh, Chad Dawson's career was in full upswing. He was prepping for a fight with Efren Garcia. Uh, Lawrence Claybay former heavyweight gold medalist was training for a fight. He was at the gym that day. Matt Remillard was getting ready for his pro debut. And Jose Antonio Rivera was preparing to what would be his first uh, world title win. And John Scully was in the back of the room at a heavy bag with an autistic kid in his 20s that obviously had no future in boxing. What I learned about not being able to fight your way through everything during that sparring session And what it meant to be there and help the people who just wanted to fight. I don't go on his list of who's who of people he trained, I'm sure. But um, in a way, it's the foundation and platform that Scrub Scraps was built on. That there should be a spot for everybody and that not everybody's willing to fight as hard as I did to learn to fight. Not everybody's going to go through all the ass whoopings I went through trying to get to that place. In fact, the vast majority of them walk into another gym where John Scully isn't the head trainer, get fed to one of those wolves, and go home with more problems than they had when they got there. But the angry kid getting stuffed in lockers and thrown in garbage cans and eating food in bathroom stalls because he doesn't want to deal with the other kids in the lunchroom. Letting that kid fight. It changed me. So that turned into more of a conventional flurry than a, than a scrub scrap spotlight. Uh, maybe we'll be able to get John on for another program. Yeah, well, thanks for making us cry. 
my God. It's like watching a Rose Namajunas <laughs> fight for crying out loud. <laughs> All right. Let's play. Let's uh, get a message from Clovercrest Media and then we'll close out the show the closing time podcast is back sponsored by rocky hill accountants i'm joe aguirre i'll have a brand new co-host sanam salati who's my broker my mentor and my good friend and one of the most knowledgeable people in connecticut in the entire real estate industry we're going to be talking about the latest goings on we'll keep you up to date on the market and we're going to bring on some really great guests all throughout this season people in all different fields in the industry like accountants home inspectors mortgage reps, and so much more just to give you a better understanding of the Connecticut real estate market. We're so excited for a brand new season of the Closing Time Podcast, part of the CMG Podcast Network. It's sponsored by Rocky Hill Accountants. Go see Heidi and Glenn Parchman to file your taxes for bookkeeping, business advice, real estate investments, or whatever your accounting needs are, including cryptocurrency. Just visit RockyHillAccountants.com. We'll see you all season long on the Closing Time Podcast. Oh, let's see if it works this time. It does not seem like it's going to. But, I mean, technical di- technical difficulties are a thing. Let's hope that, uh... oh, we got you. Hello. Hey, hey. John. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> okay. How's it going, my friend? Can you hear me? You? Yeah. I'm good. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We can hear you all right. You can hear us. Okay. Hey John, what uh, what inspired you to? I I heard you, and then I stopped hearing you. Oh, I'm cutting in and out, huh? Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, I think we're good. Hey, I'm gonna put you on the spot here with the first question. All right, what uh, what do you remember about Scrub Scraps? What's your impression of Scrub Scraps, my boxing club? Yeah, you're cutting in and out. Yeah, I can't hear the audio. I said, what do you remember about Scrub Scraps? How would you describe the Scrub um, Scraps? You know, I just saw it online. And, uh, I mean, really, it kind of reminded me of when I first started. Can you hear me? Yeah. I, I just yeah, remember well, seeing right? it online. Right, right, right. I remember seeing it online. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. I remember seeing it online, and it reminded me of when I first started boxing. Um, I used to do the, we used to do the same thing. Kids in my neighborhood. We actually called called it the WBC, the Windsor Boxing Council, and. Uh, and we had had kids. I had nine fights. I was nine and zero. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Hey, uh, I also wanted to ask you what may, what do you think makes you different from other trainers? What do you think makes you different from other trainers? 
What sets you apart as a trainer? Um, I think I'm, I'm bigger than most guys on the mental aspects of boxing. Okay. Personally, I think it's the mentality. I, I'm big on the mentality. I, I tap into guys' mentality just as much or more than I do their physical attributes and their physical game. And uh, a lot of trainers that I've worked with have never dealt with the mental aspects of boxing. And to me, that's probably the most important. Um, I just told, uh, I hope you can hear me. I just told kind of our story and all, our whole history. We met when I was about 14 or 15. And then we worked together again when I was about 24 or 25. And um, that other time in my mid-20s, you uh, when I came in, you sparred with me. And, um, and then when I, when I was completely exhausted at the end of the sparring session, crawled out of the ring over in the corner, started working the heavy bag again. And you came over and took time out to really talk to me about my, my legs staying up and my, and my jab and, and giving me tips about lateral movement and stuff. And um, I was just telling these guys, Chad Dawson was there. He was training for Efren Garcia. And uh, Matt right. Remillard was there. He was, he was getting ready to debut against uh, Arlington Pandy. And um, Lawrence Claybay was trying to make a comeback, the former silver medalist. And uh, Jose Antonio Rivera was getting ready for a world title fight. And you were in the corner giving tips to a 20-something-year-old autistic kid that obviously had no business in the boxing game. That's what sets you apart from other trainers, my friend. Thank you. Well, you know what? I'll say to that, there's a place for everybody. You know, like my, especially my gym at that time. I mean, you remember we had little kids. We had, we had a couple older guys, you know, uh, there's a place for everybody. You know, and that's a beautiful thing about a boxing gym is you could have, I remember being in a gym one time and I stood back in the corner and I was telling a friend of mine, I go, look at this gym. I go, you see that guy over there? That guy killed somebody. He was in jail for about 10 years for murder. That guy over there, 10 feet away from him, he's a lawyer. He's an attorney in Hartford. See that guy over there? He's a former world champion. He's helping train these guys. So everybody's welcome in the gym. And in my lifetime, the, the place I've seen more diverse people interact with each other is in a boxing gym, for sure. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, and, and what you just said was the answer to my first question. What makes Scrub Scraps different from other boxing clubs is we give all those different demographics a chance to compete with somebody whose level they're on and, and give a platform for them to, uh, to be successful. That's, that's more than just, you know, the sparring that they, they go through behind closed doors. And, uh, and in a way that, that day with you, I said to these guys, I, I went in there, I threw over 100 punches around. I think he threw two or three per round. He just parried everything and moved his feet and, and, and wasn't going to hurt me to beat me. And I lost all my energy. I hurt me worse than you. And you could have done 100 of those. So it was like right, this right. learning lesson where you can't arm wrestle your way through a chess match. And I was thinking that for, for years. I still do it. You can't arm wrestle your way through a chess match. So this scrub scraps thing, 
um, started to face some legal difficulties. And I got in there with that lesson you taught me and I started playing chess. We now have an exemption from USA Boxing to run scrub scraps. And we've got a 501c3 and our authorized representative is uh, Jason Conception. We're getting ready to push that through. Just got the uh, request to expedite accepted. But it's uh, those are examples of playing chess. I wasn't going to be able to arm wrestle my way through this one. I was ready to just run my fight club and get arrested because I'm doing good things for the community. And you can't win like that's not how you win fights. Not big ones. Not like this. And I thank you man. for everything you did in my life, man. You changed my life. Thank you. That's uh, that's uh, that's humbling, man. I, I appreciate it. I really do. And that's you know that's what's uh. That's what's beautiful about boxing is that, you know, people think if you don't become a world champion that you're not successful, you know, you failed. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, there's guys who got more out of boxing without ever having even made a name for themselves. But just internally, they got more out of the game than most people get out of a job that they work for 40 years. Uh you know, mm -hmm. it really is a special game, and you uh, you obviously understand that on a, on a different level. So it's pretty cool. Thank you, man. Hey, we really appreciate you coming on. You guys got something for John? Yeah, I've always wanted to ask you this. Uh, April 28, 2012, Chad Dawson, Bernard Hopkins, your guy Dawson, right, gets some – kind of runs into some trouble in the middle rounds. What did you – I mean, what did you see there, and what did you say to him that obviously turned the tide and and helped Chad win that fight over Bernard Hopkins? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, as a trainer, what I try to do is I try to establish a, a – a way of speaking to certain fighters. And with Chad, he used to, he had a history of kind of losing focus during fights and fading away a little bit. Even when he was winning, he would lose focus. So I said, listen, I said, you got to understand. I said, picture this in your head. You're at, you're on the goal line on a football field. You've got to go 100 yards to score a touchdown. You can't go 99. You can't go 42. You can't go one. You've got to go 100. You can't lose focus halfway down the field and run out of bounds for no reason. You have to go to the end zone. And whatever it takes to keep you focused on that end zone is what you've got to do. So we were winning the fight early on. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like Chad started drifting. And I remember saying to him, listen, you've got like 70 yards to go, man. You got you to gotta focus. Now, a lot of people probably listened to that. They didn't have any idea what I was talking about. They might have thought it was stupid advice. But he obviously knew what I was talking about. And from that <laughs> point on, I feel like we, we took over the fight and we won going away, going towards the end. Great. Uh, Mr. Iceman, you, you're working right now with Artur Baturbiev. I mean, one of the greatest fighters right now in the game. But there's a whole generation of kids growing up now who to them the greatest boxer is Jake Paul. So what what is the problem? Why is why don't why don't people know who Baturbiev is? You know, it's it's uh, 
I think people, younger people especially, they they see Arthur better be ever, you know, guys on TV, and they can't relate to them. It seems so high to them. But they see a guy like Jake Paul, he's more like them. You know, he's a guy playing video games and he's on YouTube and he's, you know, he's hanging out with people at parties and he seems more more reasonable goal. So they're almost like when they see Floyd Mayweather, they don't say if he could do it, I could do it. But when they see a guy like Jake Paul, they say, hey, if he could do it, I could do it. I think they feel a little bit more connected to a guy like Jake Paul. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, I mean, it's going to bring new fans. Hopefully the majority of them realize it's there's a lot more to it than just that. And they learn to appreciate real boxing. Uh, but for now, you know, this is kind of what we're with, uh, you know, these these type of fighters, uh, you know, who are going to connect with guys who up until now maybe never had an interest in boxing. Let me ask you this, uh, considering all that you've done for the great sport of boxing and especially here in Connecticut, uh, I know it's been about 11 years you were inducted into the Connecticut Boxing Hall of Fame. Tell me what that experience was like, and and did did that make this all feel like you did it at at, at such an exceptional level for such a long time? Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, uh, when I first started boxing, the world of boxing, even the national level, seemed so far away to me. Uh, I related to Hartford and to Connecticut and to New England. I wanted to be the best in New England. And uh, so the guys from Connecticut, like my idols were Muhammad Ali, of course, but but the guys I looked up to on a really deep basis were guys in Hartford, Milton Leakes and Troy Wortham and Papo Figueroa and Muhammad Shabazz. So to me, those guys were famous and they were big time. So I wanted to be big like them locally. So being in the Connecticut Hall of Fame, was probably a lot bigger for me than maybe it might be for some other people. Like Pazienza got inducted, and it was kind of weird. It was kind of messed up. Like he kind of made a, a kind of a stupid speech at the induction, you know, like, oh, you know, I really want to be in the International Hall of Fame, but I'll take this. And, you know, they didn't like, they didn't really appreciate that. And I didn't appreciate it at all because, uh, you know, back then, for me to be in the Hall of Fame now, with Troy Wortham, Marlon Starling, Tyrone Bulls, guys that I, I idolized and came up with, you know, that that that's uh, that's pretty big. So I probably appreciate it more than people may think I do. I mean, uh, we we got a big fight tonight in Baturbiev's division with the uh, Richards and Bivol. Who you got, and uh, is the winner of this going to be the next? Uh, Dance partner for Baturbiev down the line. I mean, I would assume Bavol wins. I mean, I really like Bavol. He's good. He's very good. I think, um, personally, I think the biggest and most important fight in the division is Bavol and Arthur. They've got to fight. But the fight that people want to see and that they're going to want to see after the publicity goes is Joe Smith and Arthur. I think that's the the exciting fight. But, but um, Bavol is more important fight. But the Joe Smith fight, I think, would be better. It would be 
once people realize what what these guys are about, you know, it's like it's like a Gotti Ward type of mentality. Uh, so I like either fight. Um, I think Arthur wins both of them, but uh, but those are the fights, the two fights I think that are the most important for him. Did Canelo go back down to get away from Arthur? <laughs> I would assume so. I mean, yeah. nothing against him, but I mean, it was a smart move. He's not a big guy. You know, if you see Canelo against <laughs> Triple G at the weight that they fought, you know, they, uh, he was small. He would be dwarfed by Arthur. He would look small against Arthur. So I think uh, it was it was a wise move. Um, you know, now granted, Canelo is very good. I mean, he's very smart. He's he's a vicious guy. Um, you know, if Arthur fought him, I think personally Arthur's too strong and hits too hard. And but uh, you know, Arthur would really have to be on his game because Canelo is a is a great fighter. He is really a great fighter. John, April 12th, 1995, you and Michael Nunn, do you think in your heart that you won that fight? I know at least one scorecard was kind of out there, but do, do you feel like you won that fight? Yeah. It was actually December 8th, 1995. Just to be, just to be. Technical. So what did I say? Uh, but I mean, when it was over, when it was, you know, <laughs> when I was in the ring and it was over, I felt very good about it, uh, about maybe getting the decision. I knew, I, I figured and knew it was a close fight. And in hindsight, I say this: if I fought the fight he fought, and he fought the fight I fought, they would have still given it to him. They would have given it to him because he's Michael Nunn and they would have given him credit for his his strategy. You know what I mean? So it boxing judging is very, very sketchy sometimes because you're dealing the simple fact of the matter is it's human beings at ringside. They have biases, they have impressions, they're you know, they have favorites, uh, they have allegiances. You know, at the time Michael Nunn was ranked number one getting ready to be set up with a fight with Roy Jones. Bob Aram was the promoter. So realistically, the last thing on earth Bob Aram wanted was for me to win that fight. So, you know, I'm, I know I had a bias going against me going in, uh, but in hindsight, that's probably my finest moment as a pro. And it's definitely the moment I get asked about and, and talked about by far the most. Well, I think you won. That's the record show. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, uh, another question. Uh, your fight with Drake Thadzi, your only stoppage, your only time yep. getting stopped due to a, a tough weight cut. Can you explain what it's yeah. like cutting weight? Because that's a whole part of the fight game that not a lot of people see. That was, boxing-wise, that was the worst experience of my life from top to bottom, including the day of the fight. And 
people don't realize what we go through. And, and I'll tell you quick, quick, you know, it's a long story, but the major points would be this. I didn't weigh myself at all during training camp. I just said, I'm not going to focus on the weight. I'm just going to train really hard. I was so skinny that I remember a few days before the fight, one of my fighters said to me, wow, Scully, you look so skinny. It's crazy. I said, yeah, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on weight. I'm going to be way underweight. I thought I would weigh in. I go to the gym on my way to Boston for the weigh-in. I weigh 183 and a half the day before the weigh-in. And I remember slamming the, you know, I'm skinny. I'm literally bone thin, right? I slammed the thing down. I thought my trainer was weighing it wrong. And he's like, nah, what do you want me to do? It says 183 and a half. So I went to Boston that night after having been through hell to lose weight. I still had eight and a half pounds to go. I, uh, I went to Boston. I sat in a steam room all night. I, uh, I chewed gum and spit out the saliva all night. Um, and when I knew I was in trouble, a guy by the name of Danny Sheehan, he's a middleweight I used to spar with, and he was on the undercard. And he, <laughs> he knocks on my hotel room door. I opened the door. I had nothing but underwear on. And I remember he literally gasped. His eyes got really big. And I'm like, oh, what's the matter? And I knew deep down. But I'm like, man, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, nothing, nothing. It's good. So we go to the weigh-in. I weigh in. And I never forget it. There's, a, there's these two fighters, Derek and Darren Whitley. One of their father-in-laws was at the fight. He doesn't know anything about boxing. He's just there hanging on. We're walking from the weigh-in. Now, the, one of the Whitley twins says to me, how do you feel? Now, every fighter in the world is going to say the same exact thing. Fine. I feel good. If, I don't care if they got hit by a bus the day before. Every fighter in the world is going to tell you he feels fine. I say that to Whitley. His father-in-law says, you feel fine. You look like death warmed over. And I couldn't even be mad. I just realized if this moron realizes it and he, and he has the nerve to actually say it out loud, then I know everybody knows it. Like everybody, Goody Petronelli who trained dads, he knows everybody knew. So the day of the fight, I literally sat on my bed in the hotel room. Everybody else went over early for the preliminaries. I didn't have to go over until about eight o'clock from about four 30 till about eight o'clock. I sat on my bed for three and a half hours telling myself I need to go home. I'm just going to drive home. It's only a two hour drive. I'm just going to go home. Uh, I'm not going to fight. This is, this is stupid. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm not ready. And, and to backtrack 12 days before the fight, I was sparring with Charles Brewer, IBF super middleweight champion of the world. He hit me with an uppercut. He broke a blood vessel in my nose and I bled for from, from like the night we sparred. Then the next night we tried to spar again, but it, I did one round. I couldn't do it. So I bled for basically 48 hours nonstop. I went home. Blood was coming out of my nose. It was coagulated, coagulation. I didn't know what that meant. I thought like part of my brain or something was coming out of my nose because it was so thick. And I'm like, I've never seen it before. This doesn't look real. So in any event, the fight goes, I get stopped. I knew he never hurt me, nothing. Like I literally just 
wasn't throwing back. It was almost like I was fighting against boxing and I wasn't going to let boxing beat me. I wasn't going to punch back and get caught with counters and be tired and wear myself out and get knocked out. And I wasn't going to allow that at that point because I felt like I was retired already. And I actually retired in the ring right after that fight. I ended up coming back, of course, and I actually had two of my best fights after that. But that night I was as distant from boxing and the mentality as a human being could possibly be. Damn. Thank you for sharing that. Because <laughs> that is a side of boxing. That's a side of combat sports. Not a lot of people see that they see the Conor McGregor's throwing money in the air and carrying the belts and the Floyd Mayweather. They don't see what it takes to get to just in the ring. Oh yeah, one of my one of my favorite quotes. That might be the fight that that birthed that quote. But uh, John Scully's got a quote about that that last hour in the dressing room. That's just a place that people don't understand. Right. Oh, and that and that's just. Right, right. So it goes uh, uh, the last hour before a professional fight in the dressing room, that, that last hour could strip a man who never fought before of whatever pride or courage or heart he thought he had. And what that means is it's it's literally, and I'm talking, Mike Tyson will tell you the same thing. I've read, I've seen videos where he has said the same thing. So people say, oh, you were scared. I said, no, man, it's it's different. It's something different. The only thing I could compare it to would be going to the electric chair. You're in that room and you're waiting for them to knock on the door and tell you it's time to come. And you're going to walk out into an arena of thousands of people and millions more on TV. And uh, it's just, it's uh, if you've never, I can't even do it justice. If you've never experienced it, it, you'd have to experience it to really understand. And people say to me, oh, I wouldn't be scared. I wouldn't. I said, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't care who you are. And I'll tell you a quick story as proof. We did like a charity boxing show one time at the Lions Den in Middletown. This guy was trying to raise money for his mother. She had been diagnosed with cancer and he was trying to raise awareness. So he was an Italian guy. He was like, he was a mechanic. He was about five foot ten, two forty, but he was, you know, he's a stocky guy. He probably should weigh two ten. So they had to get somebody for them to fight, just a person that wasn't a real boxer. They got this guy. I don't know the guy's name. All I remember is they called him Big Black, and he was a black guy. He was no exaggeration. He was bigger than Vitaly Klitschko. He was, I believe, he was six foot ten. And like 320 pounds, like Shaquille O'Neal. And I'm like, man, you guys sure? Like, he's going to annihilate this guy, you know, right in front of his home people on his own show that he's trying to raise awareness for. So, you know, and they knew him out in the street. He was a tough guy, whatever. I go in the dressing room before the fight because I had to get some water bottle or something. He's in there by himself, big black. He was all by himself. He's sitting in the chair in the middle of the room. And he looked like I was a ghost and he was afraid to move because he didn't want me to know he was there. That's what he looked like. <laughs> I ran outside. I got one of my, my fighters, 
Chip, you you know Chip, Chip Perez. I used to tell Chip about the dressing room, not to be worried about it, you know, because everybody feels it. And I said, I went out, I grabbed Chip. I said, Chip, walk in the dressing room with me, look around for about 10 seconds, and then turn around and walk out. Don't say anything. Chip comes in, he does it, he walks out. I go out after him. Chip says to me, he's scared to death. I said, yeah, he's scared to death. I said, and you're going to be too when you turn pro. You're going to be in that dressing room. You're going to be scared too. And you're, you know, and, and I don't necessarily use the word scared, but you're going to feel something you've never felt before. And that's part of being a fighter. You have to, people think it's just fighting. So there's so much more. You have to deal with yourself psychologically, mm. mentally, emotionally, every second of every day. And when you get in that dressing room, it's magnified times a thousand. And so when you say, somebody's a fighter you know it's it's a, it's a feat to be able to you know i know put it this way i know guys who have had one fight and they they never boxed again and they didn't box again because they said man i thought i was going crazy in there i thought i was psychologically damaging myself waiting for that you know somebody to come and get me and they never fought again so it's uh it's not for everybody and if you could have seen me if a psychiatrist could have seen me in my hotel room before that fight with Drake Dazzy, he would have wanted to interview me and put me on the couch. He would have wanted to get my thoughts because they were bizarre. And and I'm sure somebody like him would have recognized it. Damn. Thank you very much for joining us, Iceman John Scully. Thank you very much. I hope we could have you back on again. But that is going to do it for throwing jabs this week for myself, Big Jace, Joe Aguirre, Jared Jones, and our guest, Iceman John Scully. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check out clovercrestmedia.com for not just this podcast, more podcasts just Thank like you. it. And we will see you next time for more throwing jabs. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our main event.